Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 72 of the Corona Diaries. Uh, good morning, good uh, morning, Mr. H. Good morning. I was a bit late breathing in there to hold my breath. I, I breathed in during your hello instead of before it. But it, you'll, have, you'll have to edit fixed. it. We'll have to edit it across. It. I'll fix it. Yeah. But then <laughs> your breathing will be out all day. Oh, what a morning. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I went back to bed because I couldn't face it. Um, and um, then opened one eye and realised I'd forgot all about TCD. How mm. could I after all this time? I but I had. So if I sound a bit, you know, I don't know, asthmatic and wheezy, <sighs> I charge extra for that. We're going to have another level for heavy breathing. <laughs> the... Uh, the, <laughs> the oh. Oh. We've already got the purple level, which would have been a good level for heavy breathing. But we, we could have, uh, you know, the indigo blue level where I just sit and have asthma. The, the, yeah, the, it, it'll sell. Trust me, it'll sell. I was here. Did I, did we do this all last week? I, I had this interesting conversation with the hairdresser the other day about that OnlyFans. Um and this girl who posts explicit images of herself and makes eighty grand a month. Yeah, it's um, it's a, it become a, it became a COVID thing, didn't it? It's incredible. Yeah. And apparently, you can make good money just putting up pictures of your feet. So, All right. Bearing in mind the old hairy toe comment. Hairy toes. Earlier, I yeah. thought I thought there's, there may be an income stream there that I'm denying myself. Cleopatra will be your first signed up, whatever it is. She's not may, a patron, will it? She may be my only client, unfortunately. <laughs> it's a very <laughs> particular demographic. It's a, a cosy 50 pence a month. <laughs> yes, OnlyFans is a thing. It's a Ooh. thing. And and isn't it isn't this where all the kind of the um the kind of whatever list celebs Mm-hmm. Um, have been going on and doing lots of sort of personalised birthday messages and all that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. I think N- N- Nigel Farage will give you a personal message for 50 quid or something. Oh, I mean, I think why, why give, you'd want one, I'm not yes, sure. But I'd give him 50 quid to leave me alone, I think. Well, I'd give him 50,000 to leave me alone. <laughs> to leave me alone, yeah. Of and course. He'd, and he'd take it. Well, yeah, but what if, what if he's into hairy feet? <laughs> That's a quandary for you. <laughs> a quandary for him. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if your second, if your second follower is Nigel F. Oh, I love that. Creep with, me out. With a little cross of St George by his name. Oh my giddy aunt. Yeah, well, we're pornographers. Here we go again. Here we go. Here we go Sorry, again. Let's stray back into what I was going to tell you about first of all, which is that uh, before I went back to bed again this morning, I got up. Because you have to. <laughs> it's one of the prerequisites of going back to bed is getting up first. <laughs> and uh, look, we looked out the window and coming up the street along the green were um, eight swans walking. Um, you know, to a mummy and daddy swan and white and, and six... And I always thought swans only had five, but they had six young or cygnets, right. um, you know, which you could tell because they're, they're sort of a dark brown. Feathers are all stubby and brown, aren't they? And um, they were walking down the street. And this is not the first time this has happened. So there's a, there's a sort of a lake at one end of the village 
And then there's another lake down Church Lane in the Russian Spies House. Right. And um, they seem to walk from one lake to the other for whatever reason. They don't fly. <laughs> they walk. Shall we walk or shall we get in car, they say. And they go, no, let's walk. The exercise <laughs> was good. And, and along they came. That's bizarre, right. isn't it? Well, I, I suppose if they're walking from one piece of water to another, I don't... I mean, had they taken the, the, the fastest route or was yeah, it Yeah, more or less. I mean, right. obviously down the road. Yeah. Um, you can't walk in a straight line, can you? Fly in a straight line, but maybe that, you know, maybe they fancy to walk. <laughs> so that was strange. And they're enormous. You know, even the babies are enormous because mm. they've, they've, uh, they've grown since last time they walked past <laughs> <laughs> That's purely exercise, right? Right. So I saw that, and then I went, and then I dropped vibes off at the school bus, and then I went back to bed. Right. Then I woke up and thought, "Holy Jesus Christ, I forgot the podcast." And uh, I got a message from you going, "Are we on? Are we? Are we doing it?" Oh my lord! Oh my lord! So here I am. Well, I didn't want to trouble you over the weekend because you were obviously in Filey, weren't you, for this this. Wedding thing. Yes, that was curious. Um, It turned out it wasn't Filey, um, but that's where Lynetta and I went, uh, thereby thereby making us and everyone else late because they didn't want to start the ceremony without us, which was sweet. I would have. So we turned up late because we'd been in the wrong place and then... um, it was on the beach. It was lovely, actually. It was, it was, it was a grey day, and as we drove through Brid, it, Bridlington for the uh, uninitiated, uh, non-northern or English folks, yes. um, it was it was raining, and so I thought, oh god, it's going to be a washout. This, but when we got there, a bit late, um, the sun actually was just poking through. And the uh, the waves were rolling in across the bay, and fabulous brightly coloured birds <laughs> were flying about the forest. And uh, and my niece and her um, her other half ex- exchanged vows, and it was all very romantic. And all the girls went, "Oh, isn't that beautiful?" And all the boys went, "Got any more drink?" Um, <laughs> And the ones who weren't married looked sort of shifty. But she did look great. I mean, she looked like a young Jerry Hall, actually, oh. my niece. An absolute spitting image. Maybe not quite as tall. Right. And he, he didn't look like a slightly old Rupert Murdoch then? <laughs> no, he didn't. Right, well, that's a relief then. <laughs> uh. So I didn't realise when you penned those words... Um, you know, uh, for AOS, that you'd written them about Brid. (laughs) (laughs) That'll have come as a surprise to pretty much anybody who's ever been there. Yeah. (laughs) I was born in 1960, weird. Ecky Thump. Ecky Thump. And I'm your server bait. Garing Carr. <laughs> you yeah. wouldn't wanted to have surfed in Brid in the seventies, I tell you. Uh, yes, Mister Wilson, where's your sandbox and your beard? Hold me chips. I'm going for a pissing car park. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that would have worked. <laughs> um, of the other two things I want to ask you about, okay, is that is that <laughs> is that today's cast? <laughs> I think you should. I might, I might not be quite as. Um, as, as moving as uh, atmospherics, but there we are, yin um, and yang. Well, that went down well. As, yeah, you, you, you need to stop outdoing yourself. You keep saying that's it for the podcasts, for the crooncasts now. They're going to go back a notch, and then you keep outdoing yourself again, don't you? It was um, one of those things I thought, oh, how does atmospherics go? I'll just have a go at that. And so I faffed about on the piano, and it, and it came together quite well, didn't mm. it? And it was one really of those well. that looked after itself. Yeah, no, really. Well. Occasionally, um, songs do. The Village Idiots cricket match. Now I know the outcome. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, but 
But as it turned out, your business partner did actually arrange some walk-on music for you, didn't he? He did. Well, I, I, I took up your suggestion and uh, while, um, while we were passing the equipment around before we got started, you know, and people were offering me their box while I politely declined. <laughs> always, always decline a warm box. <laughs> I know where it's been. Yeah. Um, and um, and while uh, during that process, I said to Miles, "Oh, Aunt Short was saying we should have we should have intro music, and uh, I want to walk into the crease to I'm in the mood for dancing by the Nolans." And he didn't make a great show of it. He just discreetly vanished. And the next time I looked round, he'd set up a PA. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, as I walked on, I, I walked on to the Nolans. And then um, not only wasn't I seriously injured, but I scored four runs, which is a, a lifetime high for me uh, in cricket because I don't think I've ever scored more than one anywhere at any time or at any age um and so <laughs> the only girl on either of the two teams vicky from across the green managed to bowl me and then catch me out in one motion um which was a bit humiliating if you're uh, a misogynist which obviously i'm not um <laughs> although many of the ladies listening might disagree. Um, yeah, I was caught out by Vicky, um, which made her feel good and, 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 and resulted in enormous, enormous cheer from the ladies. Um, but nonetheless, as I walked back in shame from the crease and yet victorious with my mm, four runs. With your four runs. Uh, Miles played Heroes by Bowie. Oh. So I threw a few shapes in a Bowie-esque sort of fashion on my way back to the clubhouse <laughs> and opened a gin. Had, so not, that... had, had one not been laid out for you? <laughs> do, you get a, do you get a rider at the Village, the village Idiots cricket match? Well, I just forgot to ask. That's the right. trouble. I do occasionally forget, you know, about all that stuff. I forgot to ask about... Well, I did ask about the intro music and it did make a huge difference because mm. once they'd done it for me, they were doing it for everybody and uh, playing... You can't touch this whenever anybody missed a catch or anything like that. So we had a lot of lot of fun with the music. Oh, they went full-on kind of hockey then? Full on kind of American hockey or American tis hockey, and they, they, they kicked it off, wasn't it? It's ice hockey, wasn't it? It was the first thing that they used to do it. Oh, was it? Well, I wouldn't yeah. know, mate, because I'm oh. English. Right. <laughs> Although I, must I have, have seen it somewhere. occasionally been confined and imprisoned in Canadian hotels with bugger all else to do but watch ice watch hockey, hockey on, yeah. on TV because that's all they ever have on. Yeah. Um, so I've I've got bad associations in a way with ice hockey because first of all it, it's extremely macho, isn't it? Which, oh yeah, which sort of niggles me a bit anyway. But also we once had we once had a period of time in um, Toronto where we'd flown from Rio de Janeiro in 1990. The weather was amazing. We had the most amazing time. I've gone on, gone on about it in the past, I think, at length. But uh, we were in Rio. It was amazing. Everything was great. And the manager in his wisdom had decided he would fly us to Toronto about four days before the first Toronto show. So we flew straight from Rio to Toronto where it was minus 20-something snow, sleet, ice hockey for four days while we all sat there going, what on earth are we doing? it? Why don't we just stay in Rio? You know, what? why Three do we more need days in Rio. four days off here? But the manager had obviously decided it was cheaper mm. <laughs> to stick us in Toronto for four days. So ice hockey I always associate with having been denied another four days in paradise in 1990. Mm. So it, it just rankles a bit along I with think, the macho yeah. thing. Yeah. 
But the cricket was more fun than I thought it would be because I don't know why, but I, I, I think I'd psyched myself down for it being just a miserable, interminable experience and, and quite enjoyed it in the end. Oh, and um, having scored four runs, you know, I was sort of in that rosy glow of, mm. of what I define as success. Mm. Um, and I took one ball to the right forearm, which hurt like hell, but to my delight didn't come up in an enormous grapefruit-sized swelling or a big, big bruise. Uh, so I, I, apart from that, no injuries whatsoever. Yeah, right. So that's right. a first as well. Yeah. I thought I'd escaped Horton Hospital A&E, but then vibes fell down the stairs, <laughs> hurt his foot, and I ended up in there anyway, sitting there with him. But it, there was nothing broken. Um, the other thing to mention, since we last spoke, mm. Um, mm. ABBA have returned. Yes. Yes, isn't that strange with the, with the avatars and the, that's a yeah. great, that's a great term though, isn't it, avatars? Um, I, th- I think it's really interesting and I think that, do you know what, the, the, the songs are okay. I thought the songs were, were were fine. Are they all right? I haven't yeah. really had to yeah. listen. Yeah, the song the songs are the songs are fine. I mean, they're not they're not you know they're not going to go down. They're not pushing any of the big the biggies off the top five. Right. But there's nothing wrong with them. Um, nothing wrong with no. them at all. And they certainly sound like Abba songs. Um, mm. uh, one of them sounds a bit like a, 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 a you know a track from a musical. So it sounds like it could have come from chess or something like that, which, you know. Um, and the other one just sounds very abresque. Right. Oh, so songs are fine. I saw that video of, you know, the where they've got the sort of the manufactured footage of them singing mm. the new song when they were young. And that's a bit strange and spooky because mm. they don't look quite right, but it's really close. Mm. So you go, oh, there's Frida, you know, and she's just, ooh, she's not quite Frida, but she is. It's mm. a strange thing. It's as though they've got twin sisters. You know how twins look the same, but not quite. But something just a little bit out. Mm. Mm. I, th- I thought it was a bit, a bit. Well, it's interesting, and spooky. I mean, obviously, if you're a touring musician, then the the possibilities going forward of being able to be everywhere at once without ever getting off the sofa <laughs> are probably quite appealing. <laughs> so, so there was, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe, who knows? May, maybe all the, the big stars will... Um, well, they, they won't have to have uh, they won't have to have any work done, will they, on their faces? They'll just be able to... Just let it all go. Do it all digitally and and remain young forever, nonetheless. It's like a it's like a photoshopping in real life, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Mm. I mean, it you know, it's 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 the future. We're just not gonna know. I mean, we no longer know what's true, uh, and we, so before we know it, we're not gonna know what's real either. No, it's gonna be a strange way of being. You know, you just think, well, I wonder if that really happened um, or if somebody's just made it up in a laboratory. Stubbing your toe on the piece on a piece of furniture could well be the only thing left moving forward <laughs> that we know is actually real. I hate as, it. As George Orwell once said. Yes, he did. <laughs> he did. George did say it. It's a fucker when you stub your toe. There we have it. Um... Peter Davis, a couple of bits of housekeeping. Peter Davis. Winston um, Smith rolled out of bed and hit his toe on the bed leg. <laughs> Thank God for that, he said. Yeah. Right, sorry, carry on. Yeah, sorry. Peter Davis yeah. um, um, put in the notes that uh, the Doctor Who episode where he played cricket was called Black Orchid and it was from 1982. Oh. As I mentioned, Doctor Who playing cricket. Uh, and, and Josephine Elliott... Mm-hmm. Um, just a thought, but when the band debuted Neverland at the 2003 weekend, you admitted that you didn't really have a title for it yet and referred to it as Huge Neverland. So it yeah, could very well right. be the piece mm-hmm. on the CD. That does ring a bell. Mm. 
that does ring a bell. Uh, maybe I think that was the huge idea. We just had we had the verse, and we just went, we just played it round and round and round because we loved the chords so much. Mark had come up with them one night out in the West Country, and we just that's amazing. Where can it go? Where can it go? And there didn't seem to be anywhere that it could go that would live up to it or wouldn't be better than just playing it again. Uh, so it just went round and round and round and round and became the huge idea of it. what on earth are we going to do with this? Because it's, it's amazing. What what can we do? And then I actually came up with what became the chorus, um, words and music, you know. I uh, thought, uh, well, what if it went to, I think, you know, E-flat? I mean, if in doubt, you should always go to E-flat. So, uh, so I did. And uh, that worked out. Title for the episode, that. If in doubt, go to E-flat. <laughs> like that. <laughs> anyway, bringing us back round. Oh, yeah. Um, because have you noticed with, with TCD now, these, these episodes are taking a lot longer to get, to get for us started. to get into. <laughs> <laughs> We're now doing, we've just done a 20-minute kind of warm-up for ourselves. <laughs> nice, like that. Um, anyway, so we, we've got this big diary reading. We've got this, this five-day diary entry. Oh, yes, Christ, Leipzig to Poznan. Yes, and I think what we should do now is before we do anything, we should just go straight into that because mm. it's. I don't really want to say anything about it. Uh, and and do you know what? For all this time we've been talking, I didn't know this story. This is not one I think that's really co- ever come up in a conversation. All right. So right. It, I read it actually this morning and was like, I didn't know any of this. So it was quite a day. <laughs> it, it was quite. It was quite a day. So I'll I'll let you. Take us through that, but it's going to be quite a monster reading. I would imagine this is going to be like a 15, 20 minute uh, reading because it is five pages, five pages plus. Yeah. Um, but yeah. there's a lot, a lot to be packed in. Yes. I think you could call this episode, uh, I may have been dressed up, but it's not all glamour. Saturday, 18th of November. Leipzig, Kunovice, Poznan. Woke up and called Paul at 11 to check what time we were leaving today. He said 12.30 and recommended the room service breakfast. I took his advice and called to see if I was too late. No problem, they said, and sure enough, there was a chap knocking on my door as soon as I'd showered. I couldn't let him in, though. Someone had locked me in as I slept. I hunted around for my room key, shouting, Just come in, in my best German accent. Paul was right. Breakfast was most enjoyable. A pleasant surprise considering I'm in the east of Germany. I packed, arrived downstairs at 12.15 and checked out. The smell of sewage cabbage seemed to have departed from the hotel reception area this morning, or perhaps I'd got used to it. To my delight, it had just started snowing outside, big feathery flakes, as I made my way across the road to Leipzig railway station in search of coffee and a place to push the buttons of my pocket sequencer. I entered the station amid temporary chilling visions of wartime Germany. Nothing much will have changed to the fabric of the building since then, and found a baker's shop inside the station with a coffee bar inside. I sipped coffee and arranged cellos on my headphones until one o'clock, when I had arranged to meet up with the chaps on platform four. When I got to the platform, the train was already there, but no Paul Lewis and no Marillion. According to the announcement board, the train was leaving in three minutes to a destination I couldn't pronounce and had never heard of. I seemed to recall a departure time of 1.20, so I didn't know whether to assume I'd got the departure time wrong, in which case I was about to miss the train that everyone else was already on, or that I'd got it right, 
in which case the worst thing I could do would be to climb alone onto the wrong train going God knows where. Sod's Law says I would do the wrong thing. But as the last minute ticked away, I spied Paul at the far end of the train and jumped aboard. It was a very nice train. We were travelling first class in a clean, spacious and empty compartment as I spent the first few minutes chatting to Paul, who said he'd been in the process of taking his bags off the train as he saw me on the platform. The rest of the boys seemed unconcerned, but mildly amused, that I'd almost missed it. Twenty years of touring teaches you to look after number one, and if anyone else has a crisis, well, enjoy it. It spices up the day, and it'll all get sorted out eventually. Little did I know as we sped through the East German countryside that I was later to spice up the day once again. I continued programming my sequencer with my headphones on, oblivious to all around me, until we changed trains for the first time in a place called something like Cat's Piss. We found a cafe on the platform and ordered up Currywurst, fries and beer, which we took with us and ate in our new train, the connecting train to Frankfurt Oder, where we must change again for the train across the border into Poland. As we sat munching and quaffing in the train, Paul was taken over by a moment of clairvoyance. You didn't put your passport in that suitcase that you sent overnight with the crew, did you? He said. I felt the colour drain away from my cheeks as I realised that I indeed had. And your credit cards, he said. I winced and nodded. Oh well, we'll just have to worry about it when we get to the border. When we arrived at Frankfurt, no, the other one, we had a 40-minute wait for the connection, so we left the station. We found a cafe over the road where I had a coffee and played Pete what I'd been up to in the headphones. He seemed impressed, but I don't know whether by the arrangement or the machine. We returned to the chilly platform to await the five o'clock train to Poznan. Frankfurt order is right next to the Polish border. Paul and I decided to make a plan of action with regard to my absent passport and the necessary excuses and theatre. Don't worry, Paul, I'm good at acting, I said as we climbed aboard. After that, everything got a bit tricky. Before we managed to sit down, we were stuck in the corridor as uniformed passport officers checked all the passports. Passporta, passporta, they shouted. Hello. Good afternoon, I said in my best Oxford English. Now, allow me to explain. I'm a singer in a rock and roll band... I mimed guitar playing as I said this, called Marillion. We played a show last night in Leipzig and I have placed my suitcase on a bus with the road crew. This bus has travelled overnight to Poznan and is already now in Poznan. The band is travelling today by train, this train. Unfortunately, I've put my passport in the suitcase. So it is also already in Poznan. Silly, I know. Unfortunately, my credit cards are also in the suitcase. Perhaps when we arrive in Poznan, there will be a TV crew there who can verify that I am who I say I am. Passporte, passporte, they continued to shout. Oh dear, no one speaks a word of English. I eventually shortened my explanation to no passporte, no passporta! No passporta. This message seemed to get through because I found the machine guns were no longer casually slung over their shoulders. They were now pointing at me as I was escorted along the train corridor and locked into a compartment along with a young soldier, my guard, also carrying a machine gun. The train was stopped at Kunovice, the home of the border police and I was taken off the train in the company of about 12 uniformed officers. Paul only had time to give me his cell phone and some additional money before I was gone. I watched the train containing my alibi, my band, and lifeline to the outside world pull away from the platform and disappear into a massive 
barren and suddenly very alien land. It was 5pm, and in Poland it's already dark at 5pm in November and bloody cold. Oh dear, I thought. Well, here comes an entry for the diary. I was marched across the railway lines and into a chilly railside building block, up a flight of stairs, and told, via sign language, to sit on a wooden slatted bench in a reception room. The room was bare and linoleum floored with one radiator, which was enough to prevent the air from freezing, but not enough to keep it warm. There was a wrought iron fence and locked gate to prevent me leaving. There was one of those old coffee tables with the screw-in legs, on which was a large ashtray containing 30 or so cigarette butts. This was the only item of furniture, apart from the bench I was seated on. A notice board on the wall carried what might have been a public safety notice on it, but everything was in Polish, so I wasn't sure. Another sign on the wall said, Graniczna Plakowka Kontrolna Strazy Graniczne Kunovikac. I wrote it down. Two young soldiers were posted to watch over me. So picture the scene. Before leaving Leipzig, Paul had advised us that there was a distinct possibility that we would be met off the train in Poznan by the National Polish Television Channel, who would film us arriving for the news the following day. I had decided to dress up just in case. I was wearing my new Kevlar boots, dark grey with an orange zip which ran from the toe upwards. Above these, a pair of bottle green velvet trousers a white shirt, many silver bangles jangling at my wrists, beads hung around my neck, and it was all topped off by a Jean-Paul Gaultier jacket, double-breasted military style of fine black felt and a dark red velvet strip which extended down the front beneath the fine gold and black buttons. In short, I looked like a rock star and something halfway between Napoleon and Adamant. Locked in a barren cell next to a railway line on a Polish border, I must have looked like a space alien. In 1995 in Poland, a pair of genuine Levi jeans was haute couture and would stop traffic. Unsurprisingly, soldiers' faces would periodically peer in through the little window in the door to have a look at the human Christmas tree in the cell. After half an hour or so, a man with a Lech Wałęsa moustache entered the room and began to question me in extremely broken English. Who you are? I told him that I was the singer with a band called Marillion. This caused an immediate flurry. Marillion? He seemed to know of the band and began a heated exchange of words with the officer who had pulled me off the train. I was asked if I had any proof of identification, credit cards or anything. I had absolutely nothing. My credit cards were also in Poznan, in my suitcase. I didn't even have a photograph of myself with the band. I had only my little Yamaha drum machine, a pair of headphones and a toilet bag. I was asked where the band will be staying in Poznan, but I didn't know that either. So there was really very little the border police could do to help me. Paul's mobile phone turned out to be useless as it was passcode protected and he'd forgot to tell me the code. I told Lech that if they call my wife at home in England, she could tell them the name of my hotel in Poznan. Lech explained slowly that the telephones in the office could not dial international numbers, only Polish ones. So that was that. I decided all I could do was sit it out and trust in Paul to get me out of there. The train wasn't going to arrive in Poznan until 7.30, so the earliest he could do anything, now that he didn't have his mobile phone, would be in another three hours. The soldiers and the passport officials kept coming and going, asking me for my autograph. It's for my daughter, Andrea, said Lechwoense. As for the two young soldiers posted to keep an eye on me, the guards seemed to change about once an hour. They too asked me, via sign language and broken English, for my autograph. To Sebastian, 
please, or to Piotro. Every so often was the noise of footsteps trudging up the stairs and more uniformed officials would arrive to rattle the metal gate next to me so that they could be let into the office block behind. They would disappear and a murmur of conversation would ensue from the back room. Murmur, 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 Marillion, murmur, 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 vocalista. Followed by heads being craned around the doorway to discreetly have a look at the famous zoo animal. I settled down to arranging a musical idea on the QY20 pocket sequencer. I was trying to rework an old Primarillion song called Victoria Station about a girl on a train. It will now forever be Kunovice Station in my mind. After a couple of hours around 7.30pm, the attitude of the officials seemed to thaw a little and become friendlier. Sebastian, a young border guard who I recognised from the train, was interested in the sequencer and asked to hear my song. I gave him the headphones and he grinned in awe at the rich arrangement of sounds coming improbably from the little box. He told me slowly and painstakingly that they had spoken to the big boss and everything will be okay. That there was another train at 10 o'clock, still another three hours, and that I should be able to go to Poznan. It wasn't much of a relief, really. Paul hadn't called, and I couldn't get his mobile to work. If I ever got to Poznan, I didn't know where to go when I arrived. I still felt totally cut off from the English-speaking world and from the free world. The cold was beginning to seep into my knees, and my backside had fallen victim to the wooden slats. I got up and paced around a little, but it didn't seem to help. At nine o'clock, a plump, bespectacled official ran into the room and excitedly beckoned me inside to a warm office where the phone was off the hook. I picked it up to hear Paul Lewis, who sounded even more pleased to hear my voice than I was to hear his. He apologised for the delay in contacting me. They'd been trying to find out where I was being held. He said that the good news was that I hadn't been deported back to Germany. There would have been very little he could have done from inside Poland to help, and I couldn't have got out of Germany either. Paul said the border guards had agreed to accept a fax of my passport details and that this would arrive shortly. I would be free to leave on the next train. The one thing he had managed to do in the panic on the train was give me my ticket to Poznan, so at least I had a ticket. The bad news was that the next train wasn't until 11 o'clock, another two hours. He said I would arrive in Poznan at two in the morning where I would be met at the station by the promoter's rep. Both Paul and the border guards impressed upon me that the late train has a reputation for robberies and that under no circumstances should I go to sleep or play with my expensive gadgets and that I must keep my luggage close to me and not on the luggage racks. I thanked Paul for his efforts and returned to my bench feeling for the first time in four hours that I had returned to the known world but that I wasn't home and dry yet. Lechfoenza reappeared with a fax. Sure enough, there was a scan of the information page of my passport. Where the photograph of me should be, there was a black square. Is this you? said Lech, pointing at the black square with a smile. Yes, I said. That seemed good enough for him, and off he went, grinning. The official in the specs invited me into an empty room with a TV. This seemed to be where the soldiers, who had now departed, hang out when off duty. The James Bond movie Thunderball was on TV, but dubbed into Polish, so I couldn't really follow what little plot there might be. I returned to my headphones and cuddled up to the room's only radiator, while explosions, car chases, shower and bedroom scenes accompanied my efforts to write a baseline for Kunovice Station. At ten o'clock my sequence of batteries gave out, so I returned to an hour of staring at the clock. A pointless exercise, it was stuck at 8.45, and probably had been for many years. 
James Bond had waved goodbye and sailed off into the sunset with a beautiful, submissive young woman on a peerless Caribbean sea, as usual. Clinging to the radiator here in the guardroom, I pondered what he would have done in my situation and decided he'd have been out of the train window and up onto the roof for a scrap instead of meekly clinging to a radiator to stave off frostbite. Miss Poland would have showed up by now with a whip or tea and biscuits. Everyone had asked for my autograph, but no one had offered me so much as a glass of water in six hours. I thought of Brian Keenan and John McCarthy and consoled myself that at least no one with a moustache had made any amorous advances or given me a kicking. Apart from the first half hour, I'd been treated as well as could be expected. I was, after all, an illegal alien. As 11pm slowly approached, I became increasingly nervous that they might forget about me and I would miss the train. The thought of sleeping at Kunovice was not an enchanting one. I asked to go to the toilets so that the two remaining officials, Specs and his colleague, would be reminded of me and so I could freshen up a little. At 11, I was told that the train was not until 11.30. They had mistranslated the time. I settled back down to my radiator rubbing for one last long half hour. At 11.20, a civilian girl appeared in my room. She was dressed up for a Saturday night out. I don't know where she might have come from, but they weren't happy about her papers and officials began questioning her. She must have wondered who the hell the pop star in the goatee jacket trying to have sex with the radiator was in the corner. They were still questioning her when I was escorted away at 11.30. I went with Specs, back down the concrete stairs, out of the block into the bitter cold Polish November midnight, over the railway lines and up onto the public platform. John le Carre would have been proud of me. The train was already approaching the platform. A uniformed guard climbed down and Specs had a long chat with him. He must have told him to be nice to me because he escorted me onto the train and was most courteous and pleasant, showing me to an empty compartment, which was blissfully warm, and wishing me good luck, shaking my hand and smiling almost apologetically. I settled down, revelling in the comfort of an upholstered train seat and the blissful warmth. My worst fears about being mugged never materialised, I was joined by a chap carrying a four-foot-wide satellite dish who seemed civilised enough and uninterested in me. I ignored all the advice and drifted in and out of sleep until three hours later we arrived at Poznan. Paul and two promoter's assistants greeted me on the platform. They seemed very relieved to see me. I was hugged and bundled into a car and taken to the Novotel. I knew it was the Novotel, where I shared a beer with Paul before going to bed. Bloody hell. And we're back. Um, and I don't want to. I don't want to make too big a thing in terms of being ugly and upbeat because that is. That is a fairly full-on day, and okay, it worked out all right in the end, but I imagine at different points in time you wondered whether A, it would be over in a day, and B, how it would work itself out. Yeah, it was It was a strange kind of... It was very surreal. It was like a weird dream because... Um, it was made weirder by the fact that I was dressed up to the nines. So I'd got all, I really did have all my rock and roll finery on. And, and, and Michael Jackson would have been jealous of my outfit. Um, I was dressed up immaculately, you know, with masses of jewellery and, you know, and the goatee jacket and the velvet trousers. And so there I am looking like, I don't know, like, like I've, I've fallen off a catwalk in Milan. And I'm in this place, you know, I'm in this little 
little room on, um, that isn't furnished apart from um, something that starts to hurt your bum after the first three hours. Um, and it was so cold. It was because it was November and Poland gets well cold in November. There wasn't really any heating because it was a kind of detainment cell. So they, mm. they don't usually worry too much about your creature comforts. And there was just that feeling of, well, how is this going to work itself out? How is anyone even going to know where I am? Because nobody knew where I was. <laughs> um, the tour manager, in his genius, had, had given me his brick-sized mobile phone um, so that I could call with, you know, with information and forgotten to give me the entry passcode to turn it on. So I'm sitting there with this mobile phone, which was, you know, again, you know, was was like Star Trek technology in Poland at that time, which I couldn't access or get into. Uh, nobody spoke a bloody word of English. In the end, they found this guy who did speak English who was trying to interrogate me and um, I couldn't help him. You know, he wanted to know where we were, where I was going. And I said, I don't know. Um, I've got people for that. <laughs> they, they take me to where I'm going. He said, well, hotel. I said, I'm, I said, I'm going to Poznan. But he knew that because that's where the train was going. <laughs> they take me off. And he wanted to. He wanted an address, and I hadn't a clue where I was going. I didn't have an itinerary on me, so I couldn't look it up. After a while, I thought, well, if I can phone, uh, if I can phone my wife at home in England, she will have an address for the hotel. So I said, can I phone England? He went, no, our phones don't work internationally. So I couldn't phone England to find out where I was going. And I couldn't find anyone else either. I didn't know the name of the concert hall that we were going to play the next day. I didn't know the name of the promoter. Uh, I didn't know. There was nothing I could do to help him. And he wanted to know if I'd got any ID, any credit cards or anything like that. Nothing. Because I'd put them all in my suitcase, put it on, put it on the bus, and the bus had gone to Poznan along with my passport. So there was nothing I could really say except, no, no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this guy looked at me, looked, kept looking me up and down. This bloke immaculately dressed as a Christmas tree. Uh, it was just, you know, <laughs> appeared, <laughs> appeared in, in, in his jail <laughs> with no information. <laughs> it was a bit awkward, you know, even at my most light-hearted, uh, uh, I couldn't help but occasionally think, mm, I'm fucked here, aren't I? I may never get out of here. <laughs> I think I think that's maybe a better episode title, that. Well, that was a bit awkward. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think that's a lovely way of describing it. <laughs> As you're chained to a radiator with people with automatic weapons by you. Yeah, oh, that was later when I was chained to the radiator. I mean, that was luxury because that was actually on that radiator. <laughs> after they decide, after they found out who I was, just got this vision of guards <laughs> nudging themselves and and speaking, and one of them going, "It leads singer of Marillion," and the other one going, "Well, he looks nothing like fish." <laughs> and I just. No, there was a Marillion, Marillion murmur uh, that came from the other room and then, and then they all just queued up for my autograph, <laughs> yeah. which again was hysterical because, you know, say something nice, it's for my sister. Um, I, they, they hadn't even offered me a, a glass of water in five hours, but they all wanted my autograph. <laughs> and I thought, well, this is rich. You'd have thought it had made me a cup of tea. Um so it's after just... the passport scan had come through, uh, I was upgraded to a room with a radiator, which is where I then spent another another three hours <laughs> watching James Bond on the telly. <laughs> we, we're holding you because we don't know who you are. Exactly. But can we have your autograph? I know, I know. The irony wasn't <laughs> lost on me. 
<laughs> oh, dear. and then to be then to be told, right? Well, we'll get you on the last train, <laughs> but this 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 train can be a bit dodgy <laughs> this time of night. Don't speak to anybody, and don't let them see your expensive gadgets. It's usually <laughs> full of thieves. So you know we'll put you on this train with all of these hardened Polish criminals. <laughs> In your Jean-Paul Gaultier jacket yeah, with, yeah. Your, with your headphones and your pocket sequence. Yeah. I'm not convinced putting my headphones away is going to cut it somehow. No, and your Mexican jewellery. I thought I'd be lucky to get a pause now with both my hands. But like anything else. Then I got on the train. This man came, got into the compartment with a satellite dish, which was about five feet across. And sat down and I thought, well, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, then further on down the train, there was some dishevelled bloke trying to find a five-foot satellite dish that he, he boarded with. He'd probably but... unscrewed it off a building, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet somebody was halfway through Crossroads. <laughs> Crossroadski. <laughs> you can't just put the ski on the end of everything. <laughs> of which... Crossroads of it. <laughs> oh, what was really nice was at the beginning where you you actually thought that that preparing a speech and delivering it in a David Niven style would probably work. <laughs> right, I'm a singer in a band, and um, silly me, you'll never believe what's happened, but it's all perfectly straightforward. Yeah, I was doing all that while the guy just <laughs> stared blankly back, going, "Passporter." I thought, "Oh fuck, he doesn't speak English." <laughs> And the old, oh. you know, the old cocking of the rifle. Yes. Um, As the uh, safety was taken off. Char- charm's not going to do it, is it? <laughs> charm is definitely not going to do it. Don't worry, Paul. I'll have a chat with them. It'll be fine. That's what I said to him. But no. No. Well, what we'll do to finish um, mm. is there's um, the next day um, in Poznan is 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 you are well you arriving in the early hours and then obviously the gig itself and 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 what is as it turned out a, a you know a happy ending so i think um unusually we're going to finish this week's episode with that that diary uh, section it's it's uh, it's not a long section but it would just seem nice to finish the episode um on a positive you know, rather than 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 you sort of bedraggled and landing um on the on the on the late train so we'll we'll do that and finish and then obviously whatever it'll it'll then sequence straight into whatever croomcast you decide that you're gonna i don't mean what's the what's the accompanying croomcast to this oh i have something in mind already something something occurred to me uh whether that changes during the diary reading i don't know but i'm i'm sure i'll come up with something well i look forward to that because when i I, I tend, I've said this before, I listen to these before they go out. So the Crooncast is always a surprise um, for me. So I'll look forward to going out of the diary reading into whatever you feel is, is the appropriate one. <laughs> Looking forward to that. In which case, we'll say bye now. Uh, see you next week. And I'll, and I'll pass over to you to do this, this kind of wrap-up reading. Yes. Yes, uh, relieved in Poznan, you could probably call this section. Sunday, 19th of November, Poznan Arena. Got up around 11 and made my way downstairs in search of coffee. I sat at the bar while it was prepared and while I was waiting, John and Paul appeared. I sat with them as John ordered breakfast and discussed his meeting in London yesterday with the PR girls, Angie and Jules. Returned to my room with not enough time to get ready for the first interviews of the day at 12 o'clock. We were interviewed by local TV and various radio stations in the hotel lobby before being bundled into a minibus that took us through the stark and shabby streets of Poznan to the venue, the arena. 
the same spaceship-shaped dome that we played last time. A few fans were hanging around at the stage door for autographs and were very excited to see us. We seemed to be pop stars here. Chatted to the crew about my interesting day yesterday and ate a spot of lunch in the catering room while giggly girls stared and waved through the glass. Soundcheck went well. I wandered around the hall while singing and at one point went into the foyer where the t-shirt stall was being erected. I helped myself to a couple of shirts, the psychedelic brave ones, while still singing in communicado. You could never have done this in the days before they invented radio mics. It was to be an early show, 7.30, so there wasn't much time to hang around between soundcheck and showtime. The vibe at the show was like a football match, a terrific level of excitement and sense of occasion. Since listening to the live tapes, we're currently working on the mix of a live album for release next spring, I'm a little more conscious of tempo during the show, so I was trying to hold the pace back a little. Steve R has a tendency to begin Easter either too slow or too fast, depending on whether or not he's rattled. Ian tends to play faster at the big gigs. Some of the songs, particularly the old fish lyrics, are damn near impossible to sing any faster. They're so wordy. Try I'm a marquee veteran, a multimedia bona fide celebrity, as fast as you can say it. Red lorry, yellow lorry. The show went down a storm and two encores seemed paltry, but we have two more shows to go, so I was being careful not to wear my voice out. After the show, we were mobbed outside as we tried to sign album sleeves and tickets for everyone who'd waited. There must have been 60 or 70 of them. We returned to the hotel and sat in the bar with John and Paul. I was shattered. I usually am. So I had a quick beer and went to bed. This train is my life Speeding through the night We've been to these places For barely a moment Take the last train to Poznan And I'll meet you at the station You can be here by 4.30 Cause I've made your reservation Don't be slow Oh no 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 Oh no 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 Cause I'm leaving in the morning See you again We'll have one more night together Till the morning brings my train And I must go Oh no 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 Oh no 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 And I don't know if I'm ever coming home Thank you Olive and white skin Thank you Dominic Nurs Lawrence Thank you Tanya Ettersfall
Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>